Welcome to the fifth episode of In a Nutshell, a webinar by Natural Gas World, where we analyze the trends underway in the global gas industry. My name is Joseph Murphy. This week, we are discussing the EU's new hydrogen strategy unveiled by the European Commission in early July. This strategy argues that Europe is well positioned to gain from the development of hydrogen energy, both in terms of cutting emissions and advancing its manufacturing capability. The strategy calls for the production of up to 10 million tonnes per year of green hydrogen by 2030. That is hydrogen produced from water using uh, renewable energy. But it also accepts that some abated fossil fuel derived hydrogen will also be needed to deliver on emissions cuts in the shorter term. So here with me to discuss this important topic is Jean-Honoud Vinois, an advisor on European energy policy at the Jacques Delors Institute in Paris. He is also an honorary director of the European Commission, having retired from the Commission in 2013. Hello, Jean-Honoud. Hello. Hello, Joseph. Hi. Also yeah. with me is Tudor Constantinescu. Uh, Principal Advisor to the Director General for Energy at the European Commission since March 2011. Hello, Tudor. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. So, it's great to have you here. Uh, so, may I start by asking you, Tudor, just to run through uh, some of the key points of the strategy, elaborating on my very brief uh, uh, sum summary of it. And then maybe John Arnold, you'd like to respond some with uh, with some questions. Yeah, that's okay. So let's hear Tudor maybe on the what what he he may say about the strategy and how he sees it as a as a as a key policy to be launched by the European Commission in the future. Hello. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jamina. Thank you for the invitation again. Um, we have launched the uh, strategy on hydrogen on the 8th of July, at the same time with uh, energy system integration strategy. And this is not uh, an accident. In fact, you know, we started since uh, a while to look at the opportunities we have in the energy system for better efficiency and for achieving uh, the objective of a carbon neutral economy as underlined by the President's model line for 2050, but in the most cost-effective way and making best use of the resources, putting energy efficiency first principle in, into work and really uh, making sure that we embark on this journey in the most cost-effective uh, way. Uh, and in this context, it appears that uh, indeed hydrogen has a major role to play and has a major role to play because the future uh, for uh, the energy system to become decarbonized by 2050, it's clear that you'll have to have renewables into the center stage. So renewables will have to be into the center stage, but uh, for this, we'll have to also integrate renewables in the most cost-effective way. Now, if we look at the final energy consumption, I would say uh, you'll see that uh, uh, electricity represents only uh, 23%. But uh, we estimate that by 2050, electricity will represent about 50%. And there are two elements I would like to underline in, in this context. First of all, that uh, 
currently renewables, the highest penetration as share is in electricity, and we estimate that by 2030 we'll have 50-55% the share of electricity coming from renewables, and by 2050 over 80%, also in the long-term decarbonization strategy. But on the other hand, as I said, now electricity is only 23%. One third is uh, uh, in the final consumption is represented by transport, and about 45% is represented by heating and cooling. Once we move towards 2050, the share of electricity is increasing, while at the same time the share of renewables in electricity is also increasing. So this is how are we going to make use of these uh, big renewable capacities to decarbonize the other sectors, being transport or being um, uh, carbon-intensive uh, industries and heating and cooling. And here is the other element. So this is one side of the story. The other side is that by 2050, we'll still have 40-50% of our final consumption not in the form of electrons, not in the form of electricity. It means that this other form, which are molecules and can be gas or can be liquid fuels, will also have to be decarbonized. So this is where hydrogen plays such an important role. Because, of course, you'll have biomethane and so, but it not be sufficient for these uh, amounts of uh, energy carriers we need. So hydrogen will be a key enabler for one hand, ensuring that also the molecules are decarbonized, and on the other hand, to ensure that the, uh, cap uh, capturing the whole value of renewable electricity and decarbonizing other carbon-intensive industries and transport. So these are the underlining elements which are at the basis of the, of the hydrogen strategy and the link with the energy system integration. And then, of course, looking at strategy, we had to start to, to, to look at uh, why uh, and uh, how much we have, what we need to invest to, to achieve that, what forms of hydrogen we, we need to scale up, what are the applications in which we are going to use uh, hydrogen mostly, because there are also other uh, alternatives, of course, and we don't want to to take any uh, un, any biased uh, approach in in this process. So we also had to look at how to stimulate further research and innovation, but also how to make in the end the markets work, and how to integrate hydrogen into the energy market. Now, hydrogen is only two percent of the energy mix, and to be frank, this two percent. Uh, it's mostly used at feedstock. It's even less than 1% that it's really for energy uh, purposes being used. So to move from here to uh, another scale, of course, we need to, to invest and to work uh, a lot. Another, uh, another aspect related to this is the fact that of the hydrogen which we have now, 94-95% is fossil fuel based without any form of carbon capture and storage or uh, carbon capture pyrolysis or so, so it's just fossil fuel based. So if we want to decarbonize and to reach a carbon neutral economy, it's clear that we have to change this. So uh, research is important, is important, as I said, but then also is to put in place a regulatory framework and the markets which will enable this uh, transformation over the years. And in the end, to make sure that Europe is not uh, alone in this journey, and I can assure you it's not alone, and we have paid due attention to the international aspects because there is a strong movement globally, and we have tried to underline the main elements which are of interest, of course, first of all, to Europe, but also to secure that globally we make use of hydrogen 
and this is a discussion which since a couple of years picked up very much also in the G20 process with the IEA, but uh, also in other international fora. Thank you very much, Tudor, for this um, very uh, good summary of um, the uh, EU uh, hydrogen strategy. I have a very simple question to you. Um, why is it coming now and why has it not been developed before? Because we are speaking about hydrogen for decades, a bit like the nuclear fusion, you know. And uh, so it, why do you think it's coming now? Is it because the pressure from other places like China or US or I don't know? Or is it because um, the renewable have uh, reached a certain level of maturity, which is making clean hydrogen possible? So uh, what is your view on this? Let's, uh, let's say that, okay, there is, a, uh, I think, still quite a difference because we produce is true, you are absolutely right, hydrogen since a number of years, and electrolysis, for example, is well known, also other production pathways, so it's not like fusion where we still uh, need to, to invest a lot also on the research side and to, to make this happen by mid of the century uh, becoming uh, a reality in the energy mix. With hydrogen is different, and it's different uh, even if we know that since uh, since some number of years. But first of all, we made uh, important progress in terms of research and development, and uh, we used all the vehicles, including at European level, uh, like the fuel cells and hydrogen joint undertaking, to start ten years ago with electrolyzers at a capacity of only ten kilowatts, and to have now the biggest one in operation, which was also visited by our commission, Cardi Simpson, on the occasion of the launch of the strategy in, in Köln in the refinery of Shell of 10 megawatts. So from 10 kilowatts to 10 megawatts in one year. And there is another one of 20 megawatts is under construction. And furthermore, under the new green uh, deal call for research innovation this year, we will have 100 megawatt electrolyzers to be built. So you see, it's moving into the scale of what we need into the energy system. And this was enabled of course, by the technological progress, as I mentioned, but also by the upscaling of renewables. So renewables are very much at the center stage of this because renewable electricity in particular, but uh, in general uh, also other, other sources of renewables. And the fact that the cost of renewables decreased very much and will continue to decrease. If you look at uh, uh, the cost of hydrogen coming from uh, electrolysis, about 60% is represented by the cost of electricity so more than uh, the cost of the uh, cap as the electrolysis itself. So it's clear that more will have renewables and lower the cost of renewables, more competitive the hydrogen produced from uh, electrolysis from renewables will be. So there is a really a very strong link between the two. As I said, the cost of uh, electrolyzers, for example, has to decrease. So the capacities, the dependence, and the, the use of uh, raw materials, of critical raw materials, will have also to decrease, and the efficiency still needs uh, and can be improved. But uh, these things are developing at the same time. And looking at the future energy system, and I mentioned before, that we expect by 2030 to have 50 55% of the electricity we produce coming from renewables, mainly variable power and by 2050, over 80%. It still will need for the energy system to look more and more at storage capacities. And when we say storage, of course, first of all, we have now the pump hydro, but the capacity to develop additional pump hydro is limited. 
And the biggest increase in the scenario as we analyze for 2050 for uh, energy storage are batteries and chemical storage that is hydrogen. And if we speak about storing gigawatt hours for days and weeks, hydrogen is becoming clearly much more competitive as it was pointed also in the IEA uh, report for the G20 just uh, almost two, two, two years ago. So it's in this context that we started to look more on hydrogen as a solution to support decarbonization of the entire energy system and to support also the carbonization of processes which otherwise are difficult to decarbonize, in particular in uh, carbon intensive industries uh, like uh, chemical, petrochemical, uh, fertilizers, yeah, ammonia, and so on, plus uh, the heavy duty transports. And uh, uh, here we should also uh, think of maritime, we should also think of uh, uh, railway system, which 46% in Europe are still uh, diesel, and we need solutions to uh, decarbonize, not only through electrification directly. Yeah, that's very clear. Um, and um, you you have spoken about uh, the, the uh, advance made in renewables, but um, clearly in the uh, hydrogen strategy uh, proposed by the Commission, we see uh, blue hydrogen as an important, um, at least intermediate uh, steps uh, before we, we may produce hydrogen only from renewable. So how do you see this uh, blue hydrogen uh, prospects, especially that it is requiring uh, carbon capture and storage, which is uh, today a technology which is not completely uh, commercially viable and uh, which is also attracting uh, some problems of public acceptance. Yeah, it is, uh, it is true that there are problems with public acceptance with CCS and we have noted this uh, uh, in time. Uh, we also have noted that uh, it was not maybe uh, enough attractive uh, uh, to to make investors come invest in CCS projects. The Commission had uh, already taken in the past some steps on this, but uh, without being followed uh, concretely enough uh, by the industry. Now, in what relates to hydrogen, indeed, we promote uh, and we have developed a vision in the strategy, which uh, you saw that there is a stage approach till 2024, till 2030, and uh, till 2050. And uh, we have concrete uh, objectives in terms of actualizer capacities to be installed by 2024, 6 gigawatts, 40 gigawatts by 2030. Uh, but we know that we'll need much more much more also for the future, but also uh, in this uh, transition period, we'll not need other forms of low carbon hydrogen. And you can call it uh, blue, we avoid it to, to use uh, colors, but uh, we define it as, uh, as low carbon hydrogen. And we furthermore uh, make clear references to the fact that we'll need a system of uh, guarantees of origin and certifications for both renewable and low carbon hydrogen. We also refer to the fact that we need to encourage uh, the, the use of both in, uh, in the coming uh, period, uh, while, of course, uh, renewable, it's uh, for the long term the most attractive and also the solution which will really bring us to the carbon neutrality in 2050. But of course, till 2050, uh, there is still, still uh, work to, to be done. And we need to uh, invest in uh, the different forms of, uh, of hydrogen, 
bearing in mind, as I said before, that currently 96% of the hydrogen we have is uh, just fossil fuel based without any CCS or without any other process which to make it uh, low carbon. So therefore, uh, this would uh, represent already uh, an important uh, step forward and we look uh, to, to promote it into this direction. And there are a number of mechanisms we have pointed out in, in the strategy, starting of course with, uh, with the ATS, but uh, not, uh, not only. As I mentioned before, we'll need these guarantees of origin. We'll need also uh, common low carbon threshold for the promotion of um, hydrogen production installation based on, uh, on the entire uh, life cycle, greenhouse gas uh, performance, and uh, therefore we'll put in place a certification of uh, renewable and low carbon uh, hydrogen. We'll also revise uh, the ETS and think of support schemes um, compliant with the competition rules, of course, like uh, carbon contracts for difference, yeah, to, to exactly uh, acknowledge this, but also to enable carbon-intensive industries, in particular, like uh, steel, to start to decarbonize. Steel uh, and ammonia are uh, really uh, very, very important. So um, in this context, we'll need uh, uh, not only renewable hydrogen in the beginning and for the coming years, but uh, also uh, other forms of low carbon hydrogen. And there is another thing I would like to add here. Uh, we speak about this, which are the most uh, close to commercial or uh, forms of hydrogen, but this doesn't mean that we are not going to continue to invest, in particular in research, uh, for developing other production pathways, again, only renewables, or can be also from fossil fuels like pyrolysis and so, to, to encourage development of other pathways for uh, renewable and low-carbon hydrogen production. So, thank you, Tudor. You spoke about the need, of course, to have uh, good projects to invest in. And um, in this respect, uh, there is, of course, an industrial strategy which has been made uh, public in March and which is linked to the uh, hydrogen strategy, especially for decarbonization of energy-intensive industries. Uh, and then the Clean Hydrogen Alliance has been created. Uh, could you tell us about what uh, the Commission expects from the Clean Hydrogen Alliance, particularly in terms of uh, concrete projects? Now, as I have, um, uh, I think, mentioned before, and it's very well, I think, underlined in the strategy, the link between the two, and it is not by accident, uh, on the contrary, I should say, on a based on a lot of uh, good uh, cooperation inside the Commission between the various uh, DGs, of course, DGNL, but also with DG Grow and Klima and RTD uh, move, that we came with the Alliance uh, at the same time, uh, launching it uh, at the same time with the Hydrogen Strategy. The Alliance was in principle announced uh, during the, uh, the launch of the Industrial Strategy but uh, materialized now, and it is considered an important vehicle, actually, to bring all the stakeholders together, but in particular the industrial ones, able to launch the projects at the scale necessary to make this transition and to tap into the potential that hydrogen can represent for the energy uh, transition. So the important project of common European interest would be maybe the most important uh, component to be now uh, developed by, by the Alliance. 
and uh, our colleagues from DigiGrow are of course on, on lead for, for that uh, and uh, with us try to make sure that the energy uh, policy dimension and energy plans with the industrial plans are very well articulated together and supports this uh, large-scale uh, investments. We say that to to achieve the objectives uh, for um, actually uh, uh, 2030 or so, we need a lot of investments. For example, in renewable hydrogen, we speak about 20 to 40, 43 billion euros, uh, while at the same time, we need to invest more than 200 to 300 billion euros on renewable hydrogen production. At the same time, we need to, to, to invest heavily in uh, transport and distribution of uh, hydrogen, plus in the end use sector, being transport, being, uh, being steel. And the alliance will represent actually the vehicle which will enable and support uh, and steer in practice these uh, investments. Yeah, good. So there is um, a, a major innovation fund which has uh, been launched uh, recently with the ETS uh, products uh, revenue. Uh, and um, uh, there was a call for expression of interest of uh, 1 billion uh, euro launched um, two weeks ago with a deadline of end of October. So we may see there a test for the industry commitments uh, to come with uh, viable projects in this uh, innovation fund. Uh, and uh, of course, also the agreement made last week by the European Council on the budget and uh, on the recovery uh, plan uh, may be important, of course, to, uh, to, to be able to support projects which are going in the direction of the strategy. Uh, are you optimistic there about the uh, commitment of the industry and of the project promoters to come with the right projects to be supported by all this money which is now made available? Yeah, of course. Um, let's put all this into 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 the right perspective. It's clear that this uh, this money is not uh, sufficient for the whole transformation we need, and we know that. But now we have even more funding uh, available, uh, which to be made uh, operational in the coming period into the context of the recovery package, as you are uh, uh, well aware. So speaking about innovation fund, of course, we expect uh, to have good proposals. And as you know, there are different uh, types of, uh, of projects which can be uh, financed here. But we have to look uh, more into the future, and I mentioned before some, some range of figures of how much we'll need actually to invest, and we speak about hundreds of uh, billions of euros till 2050. It's clear this cannot be just uh, public uh, money, but you'll be uh, now stimulated, and you'll have to create the uh, framework in which to attract uh, investments. We have to make uh, this happen and i have to say that we expect to see the interest growing from the various industries including from uh, from the gas industry we have seen over the last couple of years a growing interest in uh, into the direction also of, uh, of hydrogen of adapting the infrastructure to hydrogen and this is for us extremely important as it is for the industry for its long term uh, survival and further development because we have this clear objective of carbon neutrality by 2050 and therefore it's important to transform. 
Renewable hydrogen is still more expensive today, but uh, we have indications that renewable hydrogen may be uh, competitive with uh, uh, the current, even price of hydrogen by 2030. So it's important if we speak about other forms of low carbon hydrogen to start and to invest uh, to be also active into this market and bearing in mind that by 2050, when we speak about uh, gas and we acknowledge that half of our energy consumption being the form of molecules being gas or being uh, liquid fuels, but these gases and liquid fuels will have to be decarbonized and hydrogen will definitely be a very important part of it. Yeah, thank you. So um, I see you are rather optimistic, but um, it's clear that uh, there is a huge challenge ahead and, and partially the commitment of the industry uh, to, uh, to come with projects and to, uh, to invest in this uh, future um, energy carrier uh, will be important. It would be also interesting, uh, I think uh, Joseph Murphy has some questions on, on this. It's about the international position of hydrogen. And um, because hydrogen is seen today more as a local production and local use because transport of hydrogen costs a lot of money. But uh, I see in the papers uh, a lot of ambitions to have international trading of um, hydrogen from Australia, from uh, Russia, or from whatever. So this is, of course, another dimension which is uh, important. So I don't know, uh, Joseph Murphy, who is located in Moscow, where is following uh, the evolution in Russia, may, may have some, some thoughts about that and some questions about that. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, so uh, a lot of countries, not just in Europe, are looking uh, a lot more seriously uh, about uh, at hydrogen development than ever before. Um, I'm just interested in what uh, your take on uh, which countries look set to become pioneers outside of Europe in in hydrogen energy. You know, wh which are making the most progress. And um, as we were talking about, uh, some of these countries are aspiring to export hydrogen, and I'm wondering how that uh would affect europe um to what extent uh, does europe anticipate um becoming uh, an importer of hydrogen or or developing more of a fuel itself and and what countries might be key trading partners in this uh so i i was uh, recently uh reading about uh russia's new russia's energy ministry is uh drawing up a plan to uh, develop hydrogen and and export it kind of maneuvering on the one hand it's uh, it's gas production status uh, but also it's uh, significant nuclear capacity uh, to develop to develop um, potentially lower carbon hydrogens uh, so what are your thoughts on on these topics yeah, thank you, um, and uh, thank you for pointing out to, to these developments also. It's uh, important, it's an important part of uh, our strategy as well. And referring to the strategy, uh, we underline at least two major dimensions. One is the relation with the neighboring countries, uh, being uh, being uh, Eastern Partnership or being uh, 
southern uh, countries in Mediterranean, northern African, to tap into the potential in particular for uh, for renewable hydrogen, which uh, which they have. At the same time, we look at uh, what is happening internationally, and uh, you said the countries. Traditionally, the international collaboration on hydrogen so far was mainly uh, started through the International Partnership on Hydrogen Economy, which was designed and focused on, on research. But gradually, and uh, as I said, with the cost of technologies coming down and with the upscaling production and the opportunities and the interest, in particular in a, in a system where we need hydrogen for decarbonizing uh, an effective solution different carbon-intensive industries and ways of transport. Uh, we need to address a number of other issues internationally as well, including the trade, including the certification, including the guarantees of origin, and we work on these issues. We work on these issues in the context of the Clean Energy Ministerial, we try to develop large-scale demonstration projects in uh, the context of the mission innovation, and these are two uh, rela relevant initiatives in which Commission is co-leading. So I have to to say that these are very much on the radar, and we concentrate on them. We look also at other developments, yeah, on research, the cooperation, uh, the most active countries uh, and regions for, of course, Europe, US, Japan. But now there are more and more who become uh, very active and who develop strategies. And if you look at the Australian strategy, it's very much based on renewable hydrogen, which is uh, which is developing so a complete change from the past. And they were a big supplier of hydrogen. They will continue to be for the for the Japanese uh, uh, market. Now uh, there are others who are developing other relevant technologies in transport and so. Uh, the point we know that the whole world is moving and we try to tap the potential, first of all, uh, which we have in Europe and to, to make best use, but uh, we know that this may not be sufficient, so we need to look in this context at the certain neighborhood, we need to, to look at the energy community, we have to look uh, also in the context of the Africa-Europe uh, Green Energy Initiative and to develop all the opportunities internationally for uh, ensuring that uh, we, if we need, we can also rely on, uh, on a global market for uh, clean, uh, renewable, low-carbon uh, hydrogen. Thank you. Very interesting. Um, uh, Jean-Honnold, would... Uh, do you have anything to add on the international uh, hydrogen element? Well, no, I think that uh, I've seen uh, a number of um, ambitions which were uh, existing before, which are coming back, some uh, like Desertec uh, project, which uh, was to, to uh, have renewable electricity coming from uh, Sarah and things like that, and now uh, we, we, the Germans particularly, are pushing for the uh, production of hydrogen in, indeed, in Northern Africa, and then to import this hydrogen uh, in Europe. So um, you see, there are plenty of uh, of projects uh, which are blossoming and uh, which will require, of course, uh, not only money but also a lot of uh, diplomacy. Uh, because uh, when we are talking about energy, uh, diplomacy is never very far away. So uh, clearly um, there will be the need for developing uh, more international cooperation on this. And uh, I think that um, 
it's still a long way uh, to go, but um, it's an interesting um, work uh, to be undertaken and to see whether indeed uh, electrification uh, may uh, go together with molecules in the future. And that is the issue. So that would be the end for me at this stage. And I'm uh, very curious to see the, the projects, the concrete projects to come out of this uh, strategy, because at the end, that is the only thing with, which counts, is to see project promoters and to see people who are believing in this and who are putting money in this. And it's not only the public money, but it's also the private money. And this is uh, quite key. Yeah, I think uh, you have a very good point. Uh, uh, and uh, indeed, it's important to attract investors. We try to create a labor playing field. We try to create a, a favorable uh, market environment uh, for upscaling these uh, projects uh, to mobilize public funding. But of course, it cannot be only uh, public funding. So we need uh, to have uh, the regulatory framework and the market arrangements which will attract all these uh, private investments and create the business case. And I think this is the main point that uh, we will have to succeed to create a business case for uh, hydrogen. And this may not be so simple uh, uh, in the future energy system as it was in the past. The energy system become much more complex with much more solutions, with much more interlinkages but we can succeed in this. And through this uh, approach we had on energy system integration, combined with the use of IT technologies and digitalization, we'll uh, have a lot of new solutions which we can put uh, in, in practice and in which hydrogen will uh, play its uh, major potential role uh, in, uh, in the long-term decarbonization of uh, our economies. and making uh, it happen uh, according to, to the plans and to our objectives. Yes, it seems it seems like a very, very exciting time. It, it seems like every every day we're reporting something new about uh, some new project being announced or some new some new investment, some 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 sort of technical uh, partnership on uh, developing hydrogen. Um, would either of you like to add anything else before we bring this discussion to a conclusion? Well, if I, I may say uh, that um, it's a bold approach, I think, um, from not only the, the European Commission, but also from many countries we have seen in the recent uh, months coming with uh, hydrogen strategy uh, so it's a belief in uh, new technologies and um, new solutions for the uh, the decarbonization of the energy system uh, the good news is that everybody is working at decarbonization of the energy system and of course the the the, the bad news is that it's it needs a lot of commitments and a lot of money uh, to be uh, implemented. Uh, so uh, I think that's, um, that is where we need to see champions uh, for this uh, strategy to materialize, really. And uh, I think that is the challenge. And of course, it's a public-private partnership. Because as Tudor said, you need, of course, to look at the regulatory framework, which has to be uh, an incentive 
for these new technologies and uh, you need also to make public money to, to support this but at the end you need really uh, companies who are investing in, in this because they believe in the in this future so uh, that's the challenge so and i find that uh, particularly fascinating and um, we will see what is happening and uh, the test will come very soon so as i said with the innovation fund there are already a lot of opportunities for projects to to come in and we'll see whether it it is coming yeah in uh, indeed i would uh, i would very much agree uh, with you and, and i would only maybe uh, add here that all these uh, uh, funds which we are speaking about these are not costs these are actually investments and are investments into modernizing our economies into of course reaching carbon neutrality by 2050 but in also making sure that we uh, are able to recreate and to strengthen the whole uh, economic growth in europe and also globally to make sure that this transition at the end of the day is also uh, very much for people creating jobs creating growth creating more than developed economies which to work hand in hand with the cleaner planet. Thank you. Uh, so thank, thanks for uh, thanks to both of you for being with us today. Uh, really stimulating discussion that I hope our, our, view, our listeners will enjoy. Um, so this has been the fifth episode of In a Nutshell, a webinar by Natural Gas World, where we analyze the key trends underway in the global gas industry with me, your host, Joseph Murphy. Thank you for checking in and see you in the next episode.